Good evening, everybody. How you doing? Hey, let's go ahead and stand as we open up in prayer tonight. Thank you for being with us online this evening. We're glad that you're uh, tuned in with us. We hope that, uh, I hope that the air conditioning's working where you are, because uh, it, uh, I say it every week, it's hot, and at some point, I want to quit saying it's hot. I did say, I did see the, the long-range forecast that it's going to be in the upper 90s, you know, the first part of the week, so praise the Lord for that cold front. Uh, but then Wednesday it gets right back up to, <laughs> I think 105. I, I think the Lord is just letting people know you really won't don't want to go there. <laughs> Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> How many have a need tonight? You'll just uh, signify by lifting your hand. Uh, listen, we are needy people. A lot of needs. Uh, we just uh, we do want to continue praying for rain. Uh, in a in a very desperate way. There's a, just a lot of. Uh, the, the ground really needs it. Uh, I think people tend to be a little more irritable, you know, as, as, as the heat. It really, it, it, it does bring out the worst in people. Uh, but then the cold brings out the worst in people, and then moderate temperature brings out the worst. Anyway, we just, we just need to pray for people. <laughs> uh, but let's do pray for rain. Let's pray for revival. I talk about the latter rain. That's the latter rain. We want the, we want the natural rain, but we also want a spiritual rain that would saturate the, the dryness of Western uh, Christendom. Um, Father, tonight we are grateful. Uh, Lord, I thank you that, uh, Lord, you're available to us. And Lord, no matter where we are and what our present circumstances might be right now, Lord, I thank you that uh, you're available to us. Lord, I know in this world there, there sometimes there's just not availability. But Lord, you're always there. Lord, you said, call out to me and I will answer you, and I'll show you things that you don't even understand. And I thank you for that, uh, Lord, that promise tonight that when we come to your throne that we do find grace and mercy in our time of need. And I pray, Father, for every hand that went up in the building tonight, each one online. Lord, I pray that uh, those that need a healing touch tonight, God, I ask that you would extend your hand and that you would touch and that you would heal. Father, I pray for those that are, again, on this Wednesday night, Lord, maybe this has been a really rough week. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them tonight, that you would uphold them with your powerful right hand, that you would minister comfort and strength to them. And Father, for those that are just struggling right now, Lord, I pray that you would let them know that you're an ever-present help in our time of trouble, and that, Lord, that you are that strong tower that we can run to and are safe. And Father, we pray for all the ministries tonight that are spread out on the campus tonight. Be exalted and lifted high in each one. Father, we pray for... Uh, the distribution tomorrow, Lord, that you would just be with us and, and, and the temperature, Lord, just help us to be able to get it, uh, serve the community and, and, and just not uh, be overdone with the heat. Lord, we ask for rain. Lord, we join our voices together, Lord, and we pray that you would send rain, Lord, that would just nourish the ground. We need a lot of rain, Lord. But, Lord, we also need spiritual rain. Lord, we pray for revival in this world that's gone nuts. Uh, Lord, we just need the truth, Lord, of your word just to shine brighter, uh, than it's ever done before. Lord, we just thank you for the time to gather in our study tonight. Open our hearts. Let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit this to you now in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated tonight. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to First John chapter 3. Uh, we're continuing on with our series, Blessed, uh, Blessed Assurance. And we have, uh, we'll get into chapter 4 next week. And we're just, you know, we're kind of, kind of nipping away at it. Um, you know, when I started this 
series, I said that we're going to take time and go through the book. I want to do it justice because it's a powerful book. Um, while you're turning to 1 John, remember a couple things. Tomorrow is our food distribution. Uh, 9 o'clock will start, so, so if you have t- a chance to join us about 8, 8.30 uh, out here on this side, we'll be getting everything ready to go and serve our, our community uh, with the food that we have out there right now. Uh, also, uh, just a reminder that on the 3rd of September, which is a week from Sunday, we are doing our Kicking It Old School. Uh, Kicking It Old School is uh, we're going to take, take a trip down memory lane, and we're going to sing some of the great hymns and courses of the church uh, in generations past. So we always have a fun time with that one. And with that said, we are going to have a table out there, a couple tables. So if you have an item that our kids today would have no clue what it is, uh, bring that, and we're going to have a little bit of fun with the, with the generation now. If you've got an old antique, uh, something that the kids would sit there and scratch their head and try to figure out what it is, uh, I'd like, you know, bring it. We're going to have that during the services, and, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get a good laugh at their expense. Hey, they laugh at old people, right? I'm, I'm telling you. And, and so this is our chance to turn the table. And laugh at them because they don't understand. They don't know nothing. Pardon my grammar. <laughs> uh, and then also <laughs> coming up in uh, in September, uh, two more things. One is on September the twenty fourth, and I'll start talking about it a little bit more. Um, is our annual? We do our uh, annual missions convention every September, and it is the time that we set aside to honor uh, missions. Missions is a very important part. I know we. We don't factor it in as much as what we, as we used to. We still give uh, to missions. Every month uh, we give to 40, I think it's 42, 45 missionaries and organizations that are serving in various capacities around the world. We have Chi Alpha Ministries that are on college campuses that we support, uh, Teen Challenge programs that we support, um, Bible translators that we support, just all kinds of things, and missionaries that are in, in uh, sensitive areas that are doing a marvelous job. Uh, spreading the gospel. And, and so this is the time we support missions through giving above our tithes uh, and offerings to them. And so on that Sunday, the 24th, uh, I don't do a lot of this, but, but I, I want us to, uh, Fire Bible is something that we've been a part of since the inception. We were one of the very first churches that got behind Fire Bible initiative with the Chinese Fire Bible. And uh, right now, I think there's 60 languages that have been uh, in, that have been translated, uh, these are heart languages. Uh, these are languages that, that certain groups of people, you know, even though they may speak like Mandarin or something like that, their heart language is something different. And so what Bible Alliance has done and Life Publishers is that they have sought to translate Bibles into their heart language as opposed to just the language they speak. And uh, I was in, in fact, I, I'm going to show the video. I was in Sri Lanka back in March. I went to Bangkok, and then from Bangkok went over to Sri Lanka. And the reason I was there is we, this Bible has been in, was in publication uh, for f- about 15 years. It was a 15-year project to get this Bible. And so I was there for the unveiling of this Bible and was privileged to be able to stand there with couple, uh, some of our missionaries and Bible Alliance people, and we gave out about 300 or 400, I don't remember the number now, Bibles to pastors. It was in their heart language. 
a very powerful thing. So what I'm telling you is I want us to receive a special offering that day. We have a guy that will be coming in from Bible Alliance, uh, Life Publishers, and I want to, they've got a new project that's part of the Silk Road Initiative um, that they're wanting to uh, translate uh, Bibles into their, their several language groups there. And so we want to do a big, uh, a big offering for them. So that, just be in prayer about it. Um, we don't do special offerings. Uh, we hadn't done very many in my 30 years here, but we want to do one that day. Uh, and then the last thing is we are putting a team together for Walk for Life, which will be on the 30th. And uh, you'll have more information as we get closer to that. But anyway, let's get right into our word now that I've taken up 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> see, I'll be saying here in a minute, we got to hurry. i got to hurry. First um, John chapter 3, uh, tonight's, tonight's lesson is called to love called to love, and we'll look at verse number 11, for this is the message, and I read this last week, but I want to start with verse 11, it says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, notice what the message is, that we should love one another, and and notice how John says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, in other words, it's not the first time you're hearing this, the message is that we should love one another, and then notice, notice what he does here in verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. You know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. So as we get into our teaching tonight, let me, let me just kind of give you a once upon a time story, okay? Once upon a time, there were two sets of brothers. One set of brothers grew up in a time of great friction within the family. How many, how many know what I'm talking about when I say sibling rivalry? So, so sibling rivalry was, would really be an understatement for these two brothers in this particular family. One brother was a cattleman, uh, while the other brother was a farmer, They both grew up with stories of God. They recognized that God deserved to be honored through our giving. So the younger brother, at the time of sacrifice, sacrificed choice animals from his flock, and he offered them to God. Now the older brother gathered a couple handfuls of grain, gave them half-heartedly to the Lord. Now God was very pleased with the younger brother's sacrifice, because his sacrifice was motivated by faith. But because the older brother's attitude was wrong, the Lord expressed disfavor. And that disfavor from God made that older brother very angry, and that sibling rivalry went to a whole new level. The Lord appealed to this older brother to do the right thing and warned him that sin was crouching at his door, ready to pounce on him. But instead of listening to the Lord, he came up with this scheme to eliminate his brother. He attacked him and slit his throat, causing blood to pour out on the ground. 
If God wanted a blood, in his mind, he's probably thinking, if God wants a blood sacrifice, then I'll give him a blood sacrifice. A short time later, the Lord asked him about his brother, and he lied and snarled. He said, am I my brother's keeper? I'm sure you guess right now the set of brothers I'm talking about is Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. The second set of brothers were known as hotheads. These brothers were, I mean, again, when you meet them, they, they were angry dudes. I mean, they, they, were, they were angry guys. Uh, surprisingly, though, their bad tempers did not disqualify them from becoming disciples of Jesus. Because Jesus actually invited them to come and be a part of his traveling team. Uh, Jesus even gave them a nickname uh, that's pronounced Bona Jersey. Bona, I can't say it. Anyway, it just means son of thunder. <laughs> Sons of thunder. Uh, that was these brothers. One time, in fact, these two brothers, uh, one time their mother, remember the story, requested that Jesus give them a place of honor. And Jesus put her in her place. Another time, one of them tried to stop someone from doing ministry because they were not from their special group. This time, Jesus put him in his place. You know, they were awful slow to learn the lesson, but being slow to learn and quick to pull the trigger of being a temp, uh, throwing temper tantrums, these brothers became very angry when some of the Samaritans did not offer lodging to the team and they turned to Jesus, and here's what they asked him in Luke chapter 9. Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? Jesus rebuked them and their desire to roast people that they didn't like. <laughs> Two sets of brothers. But here's the thing. Something happened in these brothers as they continued to follow Jesus. Something happened. In the place of anger, they became more affectionate, more compassionate. Their crankiness turned to compassion. Their selfishness was transformed into selflessness. Both of them paying the price of following Jesus with their own lives. Instead of being livid all the time, they became loving. One of them, in, in, in particular, developed a new nickname and became known as the Apostle of Love. We know him as John, and Jesus transformed him from a prideful, jealous, angry man into one who could not stop talking about living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. Known as the one whom Jesus loved, John became one who loved Jesus and he loved others. And, 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 and after all the others scattered, when Jesus, remember, the, remember this, when, when all the others scattered, when Jesus was arrested, John was the only one who stood by him, and when he went to the cross, he was the only one that was there. And when Jesus said, Behold your mother, John lovingly took Mary in like his own mother. His loud, angry temperament had been replaced with loving kindness and tender mercy. All of this happened because he leaned on Jesus and he abided in him. In John 13, that's what he said. It was the same John who wrote the gospel of John and the same John who wrote 1, 2, and 3 John and the same John who wrote the book of Revelation. So as we get into, so with that in mind, understand this is where John's coming from. Now John, again, as I've said all along in this series, John is an elder 
probably in his 80s or 90s right now, writing this letter. He'd been, he'd been, you know, he'd been isolated uh, uh, on the Isle of Patmos, wrote the Revelation, had the Revelation there. He now is writing because apostasy had seized the church, three generations into the church, and already heresy and error, complacency and apathy had infiltrated the church. And so John writes, and part of his writing is he's writing to combat the false teachings, but he's also writing them to, to solidify that, you, that your faith that you have, when you build your life upon Jesus, it's not in a myth, it's not in fables. I was an eyewitness to these things. That's what he said in chapter 1. So as we get into chapter 3 tonight, John, one of the things about John and his writing, John, particularly in 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, he uses a lot of contrasts uh, to, to make a point. And, and the one in our text tonight is that he contrasts Cain and Jesus. So notice in verse 11, here's what he says. He says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. How many think that's a good message? You know, all we need, what's the song say? All we need is love. (laughs) You know, Jesus said it best. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Love one another. And, And there's no qualifier. There's no qualifier. Does it, you know, it's interesting uh, when I've traveled different parts of the world, you know, I've, I've said this before, you know, I go into it like, like in Bangkok, I couldn't understand, I couldn't understand a word they were saying. I'm in that service there in Sri Lanka as we're getting ready to give out these, these Bibles and they had asked me to do a little 10 minute uh, presentation, if you will. And, 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 and so I'm hoping this guy's interpreting what I'm saying. I don't have a clue what he's saying. I have, I have had interpreters say, we'll preach a good message, I promise you. <laughs> Whether it has anything to do with me or not, they're going to preach a good message. You know, but here's the thing. When the music starts, you know, one of my favorite memories is being the first time I went to Cuba. In uh, the Cuban church, most of them are in garages. You know, there are a few big buildings, but most of the churches uh, in, on the island of Cuba are in garages. And I remember standing in the garage, and they had knocked out the wall to the living room, so it was not only a garage, it encompassed their living room. And again, I'm not very good in Spanish. I know enough to get me in trouble and to order lunch. Got to get your priorities right. <laughs> Couldn't, don't, don't understand much of what they're saying, but you know what? When the music started, the same thing in Sri Lanka, it was the same thing in South America, same thing in Africa. When the music started, there was, a, there was something in my spirit that resonated with my brothers and sisters in the Lord around the world. There was a love and a, and, a, and a desire to be with the family. You know, that's what he's talking about. You know, this uh, love changes things. Love changes people. And it has nothing to do with the color of your skin, has nothing to do with the level of your education, has nothing to do with your economic background. The love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts, it, it transcends all of that stuff. And John said, the message that you've had from the beginning is that you should love one another. Again, that's the basic truth of Christianity from the very beginning. It's unchanging and it's lasting. And so in contrast, again, he, he uses a lot of contrast. The false teachers brought this new and secret doctrine. And because love transformed his life, John, again, he goes from being a son of thunder to the disciple whom Jesus loved and who spoke of love. So John can't help but speak about love and how it changes things. You know, people learn through what? Through repetition. You know, when a, when a child goes off to school, 
you know, they start learning. So, so little Emmy's in first grade now. And right before we came to church, she was sitting there, and, and her assignment was she has to be able to count, I think, to 100 or 150 by fives. And, and so she's been practicing. And Papa has heard 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 100 times or more. But she's learning through repetition. People learn through, through repetition. And John, again, being the masterful uh, elder that he is, he keeps repeating basic truths so that believers will have a firm grasp on them. Jerome, Jerome is one of the early church historians. He, he wrote that when John had become too old, and again, he wrote this, but he said when John had become too old to, uh, to, to really get up and preach, that people would carry him into the congregation at Ephesus and, and uh, he, would, he would just get up and speak one exhortation, and here's what he would say. Little children love one another. That, that, was what he, that was his sermon. Little children love one another. And apparently, from Jerome's writings, apparently they'd kind of gotten tired of the same message every Sunday, so they asked him why he kept repeating himself. And his response was because it's the Lord's command, and if that is all you do, it's enough. It's the Lord's command, and if that's all you do, it is enough. Again, John has already mentioned the importance of love in chapter 2, and now he talks about it again in chapter 3, and then when we get into chapter 4, it's going to be another major theme. It's going to be, again, a major theme. So John refers directly to the command to love one another five different times. He also uses the word love 35 times in this little letter that could be read at one sitting. I mean, it's just a, just a quick thing, but he uses it 35 times. We need to be reminded often how to love on each other because our default mode is selfishness, not selflessness. That's what I'm saying. Every once in a while, it's good to go back and get a, how many of you take your car in to get your oil changed or to get a tune-up? I don't know if they do tune-ups much anymore, but you know, at certain intervals, you, you get your, your, your tires rotated and you get your oil changed and you may go in and do a, flush the transmission and maybe flush the radiator system, the coolant stuff. Why do you do that? Why is it important? Maybe you go every year or every six months, you go to the doctor to get a, a checkup. Why is it important? Because you want to make sure everything's clicking the way it's supposed to. As a believer, sometimes we need to do that examination under the light of Scripture because we live in a very depressing world. Hatred and anger is everywhere. Problems are everywhere. And if we're not careful, you know what happens? We become very cynical about where we are. We become sourpusses and Debbie Downers. And so... It's important that we go and check our love quotient. We have to be reminded often that we are to love one another because my default mode is not to love, it's to be selfish. So to emphasize the need for believers to live a life of love, here's, again, John contrasts Cain and Jesus. So let's look at that for a minute. First of all, we'll look at verse 12, and that's my point. Don't be like Cain (laughs) right off the bat. If we're going to contrast, let's start with Cain. Don't be like him. Look at verse 12. Do not be like Cain who belonged to whom? The wicked one, the evil one, and murdered his own brother. And I like this. And why did he murder him? 
because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So, so we sit here today and we think, well, that's a stupid reason to kill somebody. Well, so is walking into a convenience store and not liking somebody's hat or not liking their bumper sticker or not liking the fact that you cut them off on the freeway. It's the truth. Cain becomes this poster child for the child of the devil. He's the poster boy. And that's spelled out in chapter 10, excuse me, in verse 10. See, in Jewish and Christian writings, he serves as an example of someone who deliberately disbelieves and disobeys. In Jude 11, uh, we, we read about people who are uh, like unreasoning animals. And here's what he said, woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. Again, the poster child of evil, of disobedience. Isn't it sad that we really don't have to go very far in Scripture to find uh, the disastrous consequences of disobedience? I mean, it, it, you know, again, we don't understand the time frame, but it, I mean, it's, it's, it's like not very long. I mean, you get right into the creation story, get right into the fall of man, then you have, the, I mean, it's just right there. I mean, chapter four. <laughs> I know it's longer than chapter four, but you understand what I'm talking about. You don't have to go very far to find the consequences of disobedience. Adam and Eve commit the original sin in chapter three, and then in chapter four, we find their firstborn son killing their second-born son. These brothers were raised in the same home, had the same influences, and I'm sure that Adam and Eve wondered where they went wrong as parents, right? I mean, if your child does something wrong, you start thinking, you start scrutinizing your, your raising of them. I've had this conversation with many, many, many parents down through the years. Don't own what your children do. If you, have, if you have raised them, if you have taught them, if you've exemplified for them, uh, don't take ownership because they have a responsibility to choose this day. They have a responsibility. Your know, parents oftentimes do, uh, do that today. They want to scrutinize where they are. But hear me, sometimes you can do things right and your children still go wrong. That's the truth. You can do everything right and they still go wrong. So, I would also say this, take heart if your children are at each other's throat. Sibling rivalry is not just your children. <laughs> That's been around since Adam and Eve's time. And it will be around long after we're gone if the Lord's tarry, if the Lord tarries. Now, it's interesting because he says that he murdered his brother. The word murder is pretty graphic. In the original language, it's very graphic. In fact, it literally means to slit one's throat or to butcher that's what the word murder means. He butchered his brother, Cain, did, because Cain belonged to the evil one. He gives you the reason. Why did he do it? Because he belonged to the evil one. If you belong to the evil one, you're going to do evil things, right? Hebrews 11.4 tells us that Abel's sacrifice was better because it was offered by faith. His heart was right while Cain's was not. Even with that said, the, the thing I've always loved about this story, if you want to say loved, is the fact that even in that murder and that, that, that grotesque situation there, notice how this story is filled with God's mercy. 
If you go back and read the account of this story in Genesis 4, God urges Cain. He comes to him like, where's your brother? You know, he's like, what am I? Am I my brother's keeper? And God, God shows mercy. He's like, what have, what have you done? Cain, sin, what did he say? Sin is crouching at your door in Genesis 4, 7. He said, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. That's grace. That's mercy. He said, Cain, come on, man. You got to take charge, buddy. Don't let your emotions run wild with you. Sin's there at the door, but you've got you've to take authority. You know, everybody today, well, if God wants me to give, no, don't even go there. You know, we have, the, we have a personal responsibility. Everybody wants to say, well, if God wants me to quit, he'll make me quit. No, you've got to do it. All through Hebrews, you've heard me say this down through the years. All through Hebrews in particular, there are two words that permeate the book of Hebrews. Let us. Let us throw off everything. Let us run with perseverance. Let us look. What is that? My responsibility. My responsibility. God says, Cain, you've got to master this. But instead of doing that, what does Cain do? Cain removes his brother. He ignored God, listened to Satan, and he killed his brother. Instead of changing his attitude and his actions, he chose to kill his brother, terminate him, because he was making him look bad. He attempted to lower the standard of how he was living his life. Proverbs 29, 27 says it like this. The wicked, listen to what it says, the wicked detest the upright. Is it any wonder that today in this crazy society that we live in, that Christians are randomly being attacked because they live by a different standard? The wicked detest the upright. Number two, don't be filled with malice. Again, we're talking about don't be like Cain. Cain was filled with malice. Don't be like him. Verse 15, John says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. See, the difference between murder and hatred uh, in the heart is just an outward act. That's That's the only difference. The difference between the act of murder and hatred in the heart is just the outward act. About halfway through Genesis, we learn about what happened in the heart of another brother who deceived his, he, who was deceived by his sibling. And in fact, uh, it says that Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, listen to what, this is Esau, listen to what he said. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Right there. If you're holding a grudge, how many remember the little skit we did one time, my dog grudge? Anybody remember that? Yeah. We need to do that again. It's a good, it's a good one. If you're holding a grudge, if you're not careful, that, that grudge, that, that, that equates to murder. I mean, that's what, isn't that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 5, he said, You have heard that it was said of people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. That's, pretty, that's a pretty powerful statement by Jesus. 
If you're nursing a grudge or you find yourself filled with malice, be careful because you are more like Cain than you are Jesus. Be careful. I mean, how many people today are incarcerated because in a moment of anger, they held on to something for so long, and then when the opportunity presented itself, you know, I preached on this some years back, Ahithophel, one of the, my favorite illustrations for this, Ahithophel. If you don't know who, uh, Ahithophel. Ahithophel was David's advisor, trusted advisor, what the Bible said. In fact, the Bible says of Ahithophel that when he spoke, it was as the oracle of God. Yet, when Absalom, David's son, rebelled against him, who took up sides with Absalom, the rebel, Ahithophel, the trusted advisor who spoke as an oracle of God? Why in the world would a man like that side with a rebellious son? Because, you go back and look, Ahithophel had a, had a son who had a daughter by the name of Bathsheba. And what David did to Ahithophel's granddaughter planted a seed of a grudge in his spirit that he nursed however long it was. He nursed it. He kept looking for that opportunity to take David out as revenge. And when Absalom came along, it was a perfect opportunity. And he, and he acted on it. Listen, it's a dangerous thing. Be careful about holding a grudge. You're more, when you hold a grudge, you're more like Cain than you are Jesus. Number three, here's another thing we see from our, our story tonight, or our text tonight. Don't be a Scrooge. Don't be a Scrooge. Verse 17, again, paints a picture of how we can become like Cain if we're not careful. He says it like this. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? If I see someone in need and I have some ability to do something about it, and I don't, why, how can I say I love God? How can God's love be in me? Everywhere you see in the Gospels, you see Jesus meeting need. And it was always prefaced with, he was moved with compassion. Cain-like people murder. Cain-like people hate others. And Cain-like people are indifferent to the needs of the needy. That's Cain-like people. That's why we can say that an uncaring indifference towards others is the, is the opposite of love. Now, now, what this is not saying, and, you know, anytime you do something like this and you start, uh, I was just talking to Wes here a minute ago about compassion overload. It is, it is a legitimate struggle for a lot of people. Because if you have a tender heart, I, I remember one time when I was living in Germany, we lived in a, in a third-floor apartment of a German couple, an older couple that kept children, American soldiers' children. And uh, she was very easy to take advantage of. And I remember a few times she would always, uh, she, would, she would come to me, she'd catch me. as we'd, We actually had to go into their house uh, and walk through their living room to get to the stairs to go up to our apartment. <laughs> it was really a weird, it, they're great people, though. And, and so I remember her a couple times would, would say, you know, I don't understand. Why do they do this? And her name was Irene. I called her Oma, but I, it was Irene. I said, I said, Oma, I said, you have a, t- you have a tender heart. 
And I said, tenderhearted people are very easy to take advantage of. And I said, there will always be people who will take advantage of your tenderheartedness. Don't stop being tenderhearted. I said, because that changes others. I said, there will be some people that will be so self-absorbed that they have no, they, they don't see any wrong that they do. They never acknowledge any wrong that they do. It's always somebody else's fault. They're always passing the buck. I said, but you know what? Don't stop being tenderhearted. Down through the years, I'm sure if you've ever done anything benevolent towards someone else, there's always been people. Maybe somebody's borrowed money from you before, and they've never paid you back. In fact, not only did they not pay you back, they deleted you off social media. Right? I'm telling the truth. If they see you in the store, they walk the other way. Because in their heart, they know they've done wrong. But you don't stop helping people. You know, there have been times where people, you know, when we started doing the, during COVID, we started doing the lunch program out here. We started feeding, we fed about 3,000, we gave away 3,000, maybe 3,500 meals during that stretch of COVID before we started the food distribution. We'd have teams come up here every day, make lunches, and we'd have a drive through lunch service. And we did that every day. And sometimes you'd see these nice Cadillac Escalades coming in there. And, and, and there would be people say, Pastor, why don't we give food to people like that? I said, well, number one, you don't know how, why they're in that car. They may have borrowed it because they didn't have a way to get here. I said, you, you, you really don't know. And I said, besides, Jesus doesn't tell me to investigate whether a person deserves what we give. I said, we serve. And I said, if there be, will there be people that take advantage of us? Absolutely. I said, but that's for him to sort out, not us. My deed of kindness is what is a reflection on Jesus. Now, there have, been, there have been occasions where I've asked the secretary to go out to the street and look and see if our sign has Bethel Temple S&L on it, you know, because wanting to put a down payment on a house or pay their, you know, whatever. But, but again, you understand, this is, this is not indicting. If you can't do something, don't feel guilty you can't. That makes sense? The Bible says if it's within your ability to do something and you don't, if you ignore the need of those around you, then how can you say you love God? But again, that doesn't mean that you take guilt on to jeopardize your situation, your family. You don't do that. You do what you can do, and you trust that God has people that can make up what you can't do. That's how you have to live. Notice in this portion here, he said, notice the person, he says, sees the need. It's not like we don't have an idea. You know, there, there are some needs that we don't know about. Listen, you can't do something if you don't know about it. You know, one of the things that we started doing with benevolence, we, we, uh, when somebody calls and they want some assistance, we, we ask them, have you talked to your home church? And, and uh, I've been really interested in some of the answers. I've had people say, well, you know, they're not in a position to help. You know, I understand that. You know, God's really blessed Bethel. Thank God for that. But then there would be some saying, well, we just haven't found our, a home church yet, and, and, and we, we, we've been thinking about coming to visit your church. My, my, initial, my initial reaction is, yeah, and I got some, I've got an oceanfront property in the Sahara Desert too. <laughs> right? But, but again, you understand what I'm talking about. It's, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing. But the Bible says if you can... Serve humanity. 
you know, if we see the need, it's not like we don't have an idea. The second phrase, has no pity, means to really what it means to close the door. When we see a need, then we slam the door. We're not being like Christ. So, let, so, so that's what Cain's like, hatred and murder, murder and, and ignoring the needs of humanity. So let's get past him a little. Let's finish up on a good note. Let's look at the contrast. Instead of behaving or being like the loser Cain, we can, we can love like Jesus loved. So that's the first thing, love like Jesus. You know, every one of us like to read stories of romance, right? Well, I mean, some people do. True love is a, is, a, is a rare gem these days. There was a story in the newspaper in Iowa many years ago. It was about a couple. It was a story about a couple that had been married 72 years, and they both go into the hospital at the same time, and they die within 70 minutes of each other holding hands. I remember a couple that was part of this church when I first came, both of them have since passed on, and I remember um, she passed first. And for about three weeks, she was in a facility uh, in, in the Burleson-Fort Worth area. And I remember going up to see her, and her husband was there, and it was their 50th anniversary. Now, she had been comatose for a week, had not, had not acknowledged them, had not opened her eyes. But on their 50th anniversary... She awakened, was alert the day, and that night she closed her eyes and died two days later. We like stories like that. We think, wow, how precious. You know, love stories like this get our attention because it's so unusual in our world today. The love of Jesus as lived out through the lives of his followers has to be unique. It has to be unique. It's the love that testifies that we belong to Jesus. So how did Jesus love? Well, number one, he loved extensively. Verse 14 tells us that we can have confidence that Christ has moved us from death to life by looking at the extent of how we love other people. Do you want to know that you're a follower of Jesus? How do you love others? Boy, isn't that strange? Because we might be asking things like, well, how much of the Bible can you quote? How much scripture? How much good do you do? How do you serve here? No, he's saying we have confidence that we have moved from death to life based on how we love other people. That's what he said. We know, verse 14, that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Think about that. That's a beautiful picture. We have passed from death to life. It means to go from one place. So, so I was dead in my trespasses and sin, but now I'm made alive. I've passed to life. It means to go to that a new place. Christ uh, takes us from judgment to joy and from sin to salvation, from death to life. Jesus put it like this in John chapter 5. He said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Love is a powerful witness to an unbelieving world. Listen, only God, only the economy of God can bring people from every walk of life and unite them together. When I did that pastor's conference in South Africa, it was with a particular tribe, as I've said before, that, that speaks with a, with a click. And, and, and it's an, it was a, I was fascinated. I was mesmerized. 
how they would click. And, and depending on where they put the emphasis on the click, defined what that word was. It was, a, it was a astounding thing how they communicated. But we got there, and, man, we had church. We had church. And, man, my spirit, I was, you know, I'm there to do this pastor school and with a couple other guys, a couple missionaries. And, and man, when they, they got started, I was like, man, I was, I was like, this is, where I, this is where I need to be. What did disciples say? It is good for us to be here. I resonated. My soul tied with them. It was a beautiful thing. Love is a powerful witness. Only God could do that. To come from a, you know, a, 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 a nation like America, advanced as it is, and then go out to a bush. I asked them where the restroom was, and they said, well, it's out the door, and you got a one-holer and a two-holer. <laughs> Love. It's a powerful motivator. When we finish service, those elder men would come and embrace and peck me on the, on the cheek. And they'd speak through an interpreter. God be with you. I, it happened to be, I didn't, it, it's going to sound bad for me to say that. I, it, was, it was on, I forget what anniversary it was. I was gone on my anniversary day. And when they found out I was over there on my anniversary day, they made a huge deal out of it. They're like, this man left his wife on his anniversary to come and bring the word of God to us. And, and I mean, it was a big deal for them. And I'm like, well, you've been married like 20-something years. I mean, it's, yeah. But it was a big deal. They loved on me. They loved on me. I'm, I'm saying it's a powerful witness to the world. Only God could do that. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Only God could do that. And love becomes a powerful witness that transcends the divisiveness of our society. A stranger met a little girl carrying her little brother one day, and he looks at her and says, well, young lady, what a heavy burden you got there. The little girl looked up, looked at, looked up at him and said, this isn't a burden, this is my brother. Whoa, <laughs> it's not a burden. This is my brother. When we know Jesus, it should show. And loving our brothers and sisters in Christ should never be a burden. Notice verse 14, the last part. He says, anyone who does not love remains in death. In other words, it means that you've not had a transformative encounter with Christ. If I don't love others, how can the love of God be in me? See, we're more like Cain than we are Jesus when we do not love extensively. Verse 16 tells us, okay, you say, well, pastor, how do I love? Well, look at verse 16. This is how we know. Don't you like him? He knew we were going to ask that question. Well, how do I know I'm loving? Well, here it is. This is how we know we love. What love is, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought also to lay down our lives for our brothers. See, Cain took a life. Jesus gave his life for us. That's the ultimate definition for love. He gave his life for us, which means he died in our place on our behalf. Now, you know, most of us know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But what about 1 John 3.16? I just read it. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought also 
The word ought speaks of someone owing a debt. We ought also love like that. Cain was all about self-love. Jesus was about selfless love. This is love without limits. Now listen, I, I'm not saying that we're required to lay down our lives. That's not what that means. It means you've got to be willing to give. Maybe we have missionaries that are laying down their lives to get the gospel. We supported a missionary many, many years ago, maybe, maybe even 20 years ago, that went to a remote country where there was no known Christians other than he and his, and his wife. And the only way he got into the country was because of a, of, of a particular thing that he did that he was invited to come and teach them, show them how to, how to do. He, was, he hunted with, with a, he was a falconer. And it was the only thing that got him into the country, but he was the only known Christian. And it was such a harsh environment that after his four years, he developed severe PTSD from being in that, in that country. Went on to work with a different organization. There's somebody who laid it on the line. They laid it on the line so that somebody might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, I got to hurry. See, I told you. Loved. What did Jesus do? He loved extensively. He loved lavishly. Verse 13 said, do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Listen, there is a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost. If Jesus was hated, again, Proverbs says we're going to be detested. Then Christians will be as well. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 22, said, all men will hate you because of me. Matthew Henry one time put it like this. He said, Christ's followers cannot expect better treatment in the world than their master had. Some of you might remember years ago, anybody remember the series I did, uh, I Am In? Anybody remember that, I Am In? We had these t-shirts made. Well, we didn't have them made. We bought them, I Am In. It was a series that I, I don't really do that often, but it was a series put out by the Voice of the Martyrs. And it was we had video that went with it, and it talked about the conversions of people in the Middle East where it is illegal and most of them uh, are put to death. And we talked about the cost. You know, many of them that had businesses, what they would do is if you were in Iran or Iraq and you converted to Christianity, you owned a business, they would come and they would spray paint an inn and circle it on your building. That inn uh, stands for Nazarene. It means you're a follower of Christ. And you were shunned, you lost business, many of them had to run for their lives. You know, it, it chronicled the persecution of believers. It, you know, to me it was a very shocking thing to see the atrocities that were perpetrated on people in other parts of the world simply because they chose Jesus. There's a cost. There's a cost. You know, the cost could be money, it could be materials, it could be moments of time. John said, if anyone has, again, if anyone has material possession, sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God remain in him? John goes from plural, my brothers, to if anyone. From general to specific. If we have resources, let's use to help and build the kingdom. Again, we may not be called to die as part of our discipleship, but we may be called to meet the need of the neighbor. One guy wrote like this, martyrdom is heroic and exhilarating. 
The difficulty lies in doing the little things which no one notices and no one applauds. Wow. Again, love isn't always extreme, though. We look at that and we think, wow. You know, but it's not always extreme. It's often very practical and very quiet, not always public, oftentimes very private. James chapter 2, he writes this. Suppose a brother and sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I, will, I wish you well and keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical need, what good is it? In the same way, by faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. i got to close. Number three, love expressively. Again, verse 18, he says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. C.S. Lewis said, the more often we feel without acting, the less we will be able to ever act. And in the long run, the less we will be able to feel. Warm words must be accompanied by warm deeds. Love, has to, love is not just something that we talk about. It's not something we feel. It's something we do. If it's just words, then... It loses its luster. It loses its impact. It's something we do. What motivates us to give up time and talent and treasure to go out and, you know, whether it be go on a missions trip or do a food drive or, or go out and mow somebody's yard or go and take groceries. Just what, what motivates? It has to be love. You know, we used to, some of you remember the, we still have it back there. Anybody remember the glass pulpit we used to have right here? A big old, well, it's not really that big, but. You know, we were the we actually were the first church in the state of Texas to have a pulpit like that. I it, I had one of those flyers come through. We'd been some of you might remember the big monster that we had here that was about seven feet wide and weighed about six hundred pounds. We had to get rid of that thing because uh, man, it was it would it would keep the Titanic it would sink the Titanic. Actually, it's such a big thing. It's but etched glass and on the front of it it said the church love is building. That was, our, that was our motto, has been, the church love is building. And we always talked about how love has to be the badge that we wear. And the motivation for serving has to be love. Not notoriety, not fame, not awards, not anything like that. It has to be love. When you hand that box of food or when you, uh, you know, we did that $20,000 worth of baby stuff that we got last year or year before, whatever it was. We set up in the gym and had these families come in, these couples. Why do that? You know, the 147 pair of tennis shoes that we had earlier this year. Why do we do that? Because we love people. Why do we give up days off when you're tired, somebody calls you, and you run? You do it because you love. See, talking about love is easy. It's another matter to walk in love. To love the world is a challenge to us because the world is antagonistic, abrasive, brash, angry. Again, like I said, if we're not careful, we can become very cynical in the society in which we live, and, and probably rightly so. But we've been called to be different. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you love one another. I love what Hebrews 13, 16 says. I'm closing. It says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, 
For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. You want to please God? Go do, for, go do something for someone who has no ability to pay you back. That pleases God. You know, the joke, we, we do so many things, and the joke down through the years has always been, you know, you get, and there's a lot of people that, a lot of the same people that keep doing this, you know, I keep praying for a new crop of workers. You know, the Bible said pray the laborers, right? You know, I keep praying for a new crop of laborers. We talk about mission trips, and, you know, this guy that's been doing mission trips since 1997, I'm getting tired of laying brick at 58 years of age. See, because those brick down in uh, Central America and, and Caribbean, they weigh about 45 pounds, and I really get tired of lifting those 45-pound bricks and putting them on the wall. And nobody builds on the floor or ground anymore. Every time we get called into a project, it's always the second floor. So you got to get them from the ground, and nobody believes in a forklift either. <laughs> you got to get them from the ground. <laughs> Actually, the funny thing, down in Cuba, we had that church we were working in Havana, and uh, we worked with them one day. We were doing other things, but we worked one day with them, and we actually had them rig up a pulley system and took a piece of rebar and bent that thing, put a rope around it, threw it over that pulley system, and we'd hook, that, hook on that brick, and then we'd run to the end of the building. That brick would go up, they'd grab it, and we'd do it again. <laughs> I said, that's a whole lot of, anyway, that's different. <laughs> what, what motivates somebody to do that? It's, it's love. Are you a Cain follower? Are you a Jesus follower? See, the love of God must cause us to live a life of love. How's your love quotient tonight? Go ahead and stand with me as we close. This is probably, well, I'm not going to say that because there are several characteristics or character traits that are very difficult for believers to uh, master. But this is one of them. Thanks, sir. This is one of them. It's difficult to love the unlovable. Amen? It's difficult to love the unlovable. There are some people you've got to love through their struggles and you've got to love through their addictions and you've got to love through their crisis. There are some people that you just say, God, you've got to help me love them because I want to kill them. You know what? He'll, that's a prayer he'll answer. That's a prayer he'll answer. Because John said, he says, this is a commandment that has been given to you from the beginning. You are to love one another. I want you to bow with me tonight as we close in prayer. And if you're online tonight, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. But here's what I want to ask. If you're here tonight, and we've been talking about love, and there's somebody in your life that's very difficult to love. Again, whatever the reason is, I, I, I'm not, that's not what's important. But you say, Pastor, I struggle. Maybe they've disappointed you. Maybe they have betrayed you. Maybe they have... I, I, I don't know. But you say, Pastor, you know, I want, I, want to, I want to be a person that's filled with love. I want God to help me to love. Because, see, it's love that changes things. It's love that changes things. I've had couples that have come in that have been on the brink of divorce. And I've challenged them to go to a different level of love between themselves. And to watch the miracle take place when we learn the power of love. See, the badge that you and I wear as believers, it's not the degrees hanging on the wall. That's nonsense. we got too many people that want to rely on their, their, their head knowledge, get the heart involved. 
You're not impressing people with your, you can quote scriptures and quote commentaries and do all that stuff, but if you don't have love, John, uh, excuse me, Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 13, listen, you can do all of that stuff. If you don't have love, pardon my grammar, you have nothing. You have nothing. It's love that makes the difference. If here tonight and say, Pastor, pray for me. There's some, there's some people I struggle with. I really, I want to have that type of love. I want God to help me to love the way he loved. I want to be like Cain. I want to love as Christ loved. Does that mean I'll be taken advantage of? <laughs> Probably. But he'll give you grace. If that's you tonight, just slip in, write it right back down as we pray in closing. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you as well. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. As the psalmist said, it is a lamp unto our feet, it is a light unto our path. Father, tonight the path leads to perfect love. Lord, I pray that tonight you would help us. Lord, we've been called, as John said in our text tonight, we've been called to love. We've been called to love the unlovable. We've been contrasted with Cain. We're not to be like him who hated his brother, who murdered his brother. And why did he do it? Because his deeds were evil. We're to be like Jesus who loved extensively, extravagantly, lavishly, expressly. Lord, help us to love one another. Lord, I pray for those people in our lives that are difficult to love. Help us to love them. Lord, we know that in, the, in, in ourselves, there's, there, we have no ability, we have no strength. It's not something that we can just naturally do because we're all prone to self-centeredness. Lord, we know that this is a work of the Holy Spirit inside each of us. So, Father, as we walk out of this place tonight, I pray that whoever that person might be that we are struggling with, Lord, help us, show us how we might love extravagantly and lavishly and expressly how we can change the love quotient and watch love bring the effective change that needs to happen. Lord, I pray you'll go with us tonight. Give us a wonderful evening. Give us a restful night. May we sleep soundly in you. Lord, should, we ter- should you tarry, may we wake up with a spring in our step, a song in our heart. May we be the answer to someone's prayer tomorrow, I pray. Bring us again on Sunday. Bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. I love and bless each one now. In Jesus' mighty name, and we all said, Amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. Stay.